The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the new episode of the Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is with John Nolan of Taking Back Sunday and Straley Run. I was really stoked to talk to John because this year is the 20th anniversary of Taking Back Sunday's debut album, Tell Your Friends, which was a landmark album for emo and actually an album that we just named the number one emo album of 2002 in a new list on Brooklyn Vegan. Not only does John reflect a lot on that record, but he talks about his other band, Straylight Run, who reunited for the first time in 12 years this past December to open some shows for Taking Back Sunday. I caught them on Long Island. It was a killer show. And actually, I caught up with John shortly after those shows to record this conversation, which originally aired on Vans Channel 66. Thanks again, Vans, for letting us re-air it on our podcast. It was awesome to talk to John about Straylight Run. Um, it's always been one of my favorite projects of his. I feel like a little bit overlooked in comparison to Taking Back Sunday, so it was really great to go deep with him about all the records that that band put out. He talks about lots of other stuff throughout this hour-long conversation, too. I had a lot of fun chatting with John. I hope you enjoy listening. Here it is. All right. Uh, so Straylight Run just played some shows. Yeah. Uh, first in first in 12 years. Uh, I was at the first one on Long Island. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, how did it feel? Yeah. How did it feel getting on stage again and playing those songs? It felt great. It was really, it was really a cool thing. Uh, it, it was a little surprising to me how normal it felt once we were practicing and playing again. Um, I kind of, I guess I've had this feeling two times now with, returning back to taking back Sunday uh, 10 or 11 years ago. And then again, with playing with Straylight Run, there's a, a weird thing that happened with both of those experiences where just it immediately doesn't feel like uh, nearly that much time has passed. So uh, it, it, but it was, yeah, it was great. And, and uh, you know, and a, really a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. It kind of seemed that way to me too. Like, it didn't come off like, oh, this is like this big reunion. Like it almost just seemed like you guys had played last year or something. Yeah, it, it really did feel like that when we were rehearsing for it. Uh, yeah, if, if you would have had me guess how much time it had been based on what it felt like, you know, I would have said, you know, we've had some time, downtime, maybe a year or so or something like that. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of weird. So what made you finally decide to reunite the band? Well, we started doing some stuff during the pandemic. Um, that, that I think is what kicked it off. There was some more downtime. Um, one, one of the things for me is that with taking back Sunday's schedule, it's, it's pretty hard to find time to do something like we did with, with Straylight Run and, so having that, that downtime in the pandemic gave some time to, I, I was kind of looking through old stuff and found that live album on my computer and was listening to that. And that got the ball rolling with putting that live album out. And then that, you know, kind of got things happening with Straylight Run again. Um, 
you know, not, not in person or in a live setting, but at least with us communicating and doing things again. So um, then once the holiday shows were coming up, it seemed uh, like a pretty easy way to, to do a reunion to just have it be part of the Taking Back Sunday thing, because obviously you have Sean there and myself already. So it was just a matter of bringing Michelle and Will out. And so a lot of the logistical things that would normally be hard about <clears throat> reuniting after that much time uh, were solved just by doing it as, as part of the, the holiday shows. That makes sense. Do you uh, have plans to play more shows? We don't have anything planned. Um, I think now that we've rehearsed and done some things, it will be easier to, to do some more things. And hopefully we will, but, uh, but nothing is planned right now. Mm -hmm. And I know you kind of still, even after rejoining Taking Back Sunday, you still do solo records on the side. So of course you're writing outside of that band. Do you think new Charlotte run music could ever happen? Uh, it's a possibility, you know, um, again, you know, I, I, like you said, I have done solo stuff in my downtime, but th that is a little bit easier to, to do. Cause again, uh, you know, just logistically I'm doing the writing and a lot of the demoing and even sometimes all of the recording on my own. So it, it's not hard to arrange, but, uh, I, again, yeah, now that we've gotten, things going again to some extent that it, it's always a possibility and you know we'll, we'll have to see what happens cool um well i think before we get into more stuff that's happening now and mm -hmm. recently i want to go all the way back to the beginning uh just to give some history some background um so where were you at musically like before taking back sunday form like how did you find yourself uh, getting into punk and hardcore and emo or whatever it was that you were into and starting to play shows. Yeah. Um, well, I was relatively speaking kind of late into the punk and emo thing. Um, like in high school, I was really into uh, like the, the whole grunge thing that happened and, and also really a lot into classic rock, which I feel like the, like the grunge thing was a little more tied into some of the like classic rock from the 60s and 70s, you know, than, than some of the punk or hardcore stuff was. So it wasn't really till I think I was like 19 or 18 and 19, like getting out of high school, I started to discover some of the stuff that was going on um, with like the Get Up Kids. And uh, oh, that was yeah, probably more like 90, yeah, 97, 98. So yeah, a year or two after high school started hearing Get Up Kids and Promise Ring and some stuff like that. And then I had a friend and met some other friends through him that, that went to a lot of uh, the shows on Long Island that were happening at that point. And um, that was probably my first experience even seeing something like that. Like I wasn't even aware that on Long Island there was this whole world of bands and venues and, and shows that were happening. It was like a whole scene that I had no idea existed. So that was my introduction to it. And um, seeing those shows and listening to those bands started changing some of my musical interests and then, you know, what I started learning to play on guitar. And then, you know, probably within a year or two, I was 
joining with with uh, some of my friends and starting to play shows in that scene. And that uh, eventually led to, to playing with Taking Back Sunday. Hmm. So uh, you eventually obviously met Eddie Reyes, who helped form the band. And he had kind of already been like a figure in the Long Island hardcore scene with Mind Over Matter and stuff like that. How did you get linked up with him? Like, were you a fan of his older bands or? So um, I had really gotten into the band Inside that, that he had started. I wasn't really aware of his involvement in it at that point. But um, the, the same friend who had kind of introduced me to that scene, he was someone I went to high school with. And uh, uh, he ended up being asked by Eddie to sing for Taking Back Sunday. So that was Antonio, who was the original singer. Mm-hmm. And he invited me to audition and like told Eddie that, you know, about me. And so he kind of gave me the rundown of, of what Eddie had done in, you know, in the scene. And then, so like I said, yeah, like I was, I, once he was telling me, I was aware of a lot of the bands and a lot of the projects he had been involved with, but I didn't know about him until that point. But um, yeah, so once he told me about that and when I was going to audition for the band, uh, it was a pretty big deal. Like at, at that point, even though the band hadn't done anything yet and it was really just like a drummer and Eddie and the singer, there wasn't a bass player yet and nothing had really started. But it was, uh, it felt uh, like a little bit of um, pressure. I remember being pretty nervous about going to play with them for the first time. It kind of felt like a big deal. Mm-hmm. So what were those early days like when Antonio was singing before Adam had joined? Um, at, you know, that point for the first year or so, we, we just played on Long Island and, uh, you know, we'd play every couple of weeks or so, uh, you know, at a, local venue with with other long island bands and uh we we had a lot of different bass players for some reason in the first year um it, we couldn't really get anybody to to stick and um but it was exciting you know again to me even though it was all just like part of a local scene and we weren't really like getting a label or getting anything happening outside of long island it was the biggest thing I'd ever been a part of, even at that point, you know, anything else I'd done, I've been in band since high school and it was always a struggle to even get anybody to pay attention or even get on a show. So, you know, that first year even was really exciting for me, but, you know, relatively speaking, it was pretty low key and still very like local scene band type stuff, you know, for a while. Mm-hmm. But then uh, when Adam joined and you did the demo, um, I feel like that's when it started to me. I was a little too young to have seen the band at that point, but there's this great video on YouTube. You probably know the one I'm talking about where I think it's like you guys playing some like VFW hall type place and only the demo's out and everybody knows the words. Yeah. Um, So like, and then of course the labels start getting interested. Like you obviously eventually signed a victory. Like at what point did it become clear to the band that like, oh, this is happening? There was uh, it things happened relatively quickly once we put that demo out and, and Adam was singing. Um, you know, we had gained some momentum before that. We had started to branch out a bit more. We were playing shows in New Jersey and Connecticut, and we were getting a bit of a following 
even before that, but you know, um, even before we, we got signed and things really took off, even to the point that you were saying from that video, like even when we recorded that demo, we knew something had really clicked and we had taken a, a big step forward and um and and the response was pretty quick as well you know like even on that local level and i don't remember how long it took to actually like become something bigger than long island and and real involvement from record labels but it, it felt looking back on it it feels like it was relatively quick that it all happened hmm so writing those songs um so you kind of become almost like this secondary singer and you and Adam sort of developed this style that's like conversational um I mean now I feel like that's like a trademark of that emo era but like I mean I feel like you guys kind of helped start that sort of thing I mean there were like other hardcore bands with two vocalists but I think Taking Back Sunday kind of took it to a different level so what was sort of like that songwriting process like with like kind of two vocalists and what were some of the inspirations that were making you guys think like you know let's try that yeah I mean yeah like like you said there there's definitely things happening already with you know two different people singing and I guess I I had kind of become aware that that was something you could do well even like I remember some stuff like like cap and jazz um they would have some stuff where the, the other guy was just kind of like just yelling over the singer, like at the same time. And it wasn't even really like intertwining. And it was just mm. sort of like, Oh wow, you can do that. Like you can just kind of yell and like have another guy doing a whole separate thing. And so there were some things that made me personally kind of realize what you were kind of could get away with in that, in that world. Um, I don't know. might've been more obvious to, to Adam or some of the other guys before that. But um, to me, a, a lot of what, what happened there is like, so I think like originally when, when we were writing the songs for the, for the first demos of that, you know, like Adam was, had already been a songwriter and, and he had notebooks full of, of words and lyrics and, and I did as well. Um, and I think in my mind, when we were gonna, when Antonio wasn't singing anymore, like Adam was a bass player. So I kind of picture it that Adam would continue to play bass and I would continue to play guitar and we would both kind of sing um, our, our songs as we wrote them or both sing together. Then, and Eddie was kind of just like, Adam is gonna be the singer. We need like a front man type person and Adam can do it. And he, he was just like, knew that was the way it should be. And we were like, okay, so we'll do that. Um, so I continued though to approach it in that same way. So it was like, we have all these words that we've both written. And so we might as well both be using as much of these as possible and, and both sing whatever we can uh, at, at any time we can. And I think really a lot of it came from that that thing of both of us having all this stuff and it, there was just so much to work with. And a lot of the songs felt like they were just crammed with words and words and words that we both wanted to use. And um, so then it just made sense because there was so, so much there, like one person couldn't sing it all. So a lot of it was just kind of out of necessity of like, how do we make all these words um, work together melodically over the song, you know? 
Um, and what were some of the other like musical influences the band had when writing that record? Um, well, the, so Mark O'Connell, our, our drummer, um, started to do more writing on guitar. I, I don't think he had really done anything before Adam was singing, and but he had always written and played guitar and, and written songs, and he started to, to bring more of that into into the band and um he i think came from more of like a, a punk background and so i think you you could hear that influence in there but then like eddie's influence was more of that like 90s hardcore kind of uh thing and then um and then, you know, Sean, the, our bass player, had this mix of, of all kinds of influences of like the punk rock stuff. And uh, even like, well, I guess him and Mark even were in like a punk ska band when they were in high school. And uh, but then he also could play like jazz and like uh, classic rock stuff. And then um, and then Adam was kind of had all of that stuff, like a, a mix of all those influences. And, and so you know, it, it all kind of just <clears throat> mashed together in different ways. And I feel like in different songs, you can hear more of one side of it or another. Um, but I think it all came together in a kind of interesting way. Totally. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it it's a record that has, I think, come to kind of define a moment. And um, obviously you can spot the influences, but I think, uh, you know, when stuff comes together, like that and it becomes something new. And I think, you know, that's one of those records. Um, and on that note, I mean, with it turning 20, like, uh, you know, now it's like, again, it's really this landmark album. Like uh, at what point did you sort of realize like how influential it had become and like how much it had kind of done for, I mean, I remember when that album came out, like everybody I knew who had any interest in any kind of punk derived music was listening to Tell Your Friends. And, mm -hmm. and it was like not on a major label. And these were like, I don't know, it just felt like a real moment. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I, I probably was, I was probably behind in realizing that the level that it had gotten to in, in people's minds. Um, it was a really weird process. Cause you know, like when we recorded the album, our expectations were just, we want to make the best record we can. And uh, we didn't really know what we were doing and we had a very small budget. We were just like excited to get a record in stores and be able to go on tour. And that was kind of our mindset. And then it, you know, it, it started to become, you know, really started to catch on. And um, that even just that first year or two of how much attention the album got was kind of shocking. And then, you know, I think like five or six years later, even to me, the fact that people still cared about the album and, uh, you know, you know, I, I was out of the band at that point, but it was very obvious to me that people still cared about Taking Back Sunday and that record. That was even kind of surprising to me because even with the success that we had, I, I kind of thought it was going to be like a, 
a trendy kind of thing that would that would kind of die out in a couple of years or something. So then, you know, five, six years later, then like eight years later, and then it was coming closer to the time when I ended up going back to the band. I still don't think like I fully recognize the, the, the way that, that people saw the record as far as its influence or, you know, its, its status or whatever. And, um, you know, so it, it's still kind of hard for me to wrap my head around how people see the album and, and that, I don't know, whatever level of impact it, it has had. I, it's kind of been a still a gradual and probably ongoing process, I guess, for mm-hmm. me is to still be even understanding it or, or recognizing it. Well, how did, uh, what was sort of your reaction the first time that you got back with Taking Back Sunday and you saw audiences like sing along to those songs for the first time in years? That, that was felt really good. It, it felt, it felt really amazing. And, and again, yeah, even at that point of coming back and, and seeing the, the same kind of reaction 10 years later that had been happening in 2003, you know, um, it actually wasn't quite 10 years at that point because it was 2010, I think, or 2011, but whatever it was, it, it, it was amazing. And um, I think that was kind of the, the start of me sort of accepting what it meant to people and um, how important it was, you know, to, to be back in the band and see it firsthand and, and connect with people again through those songs. You know, it, it really was amazing. It really did. It meant a lot and, you know, it felt really good. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't need to rehash all these details, but um, you walked away from the band as it was blowing up. Like uh, what, was there any like level of like, what if I stayed? Did you ever in those kind of in the, the short term after that? And then even like before you rejoined, like, did you ever wonder like, you know, w- what could have been and was that hard to do at all? Um, no, it wasn't really at the, at the time it was, it felt like the only thing that I could do. And um, there wasn't a lot of wondering if I should do it or not, because it just didn't feel like I could continue. You know, it was just one of those things that, uh, that it, yeah, it seemed like the only thing I, I could do. And so then there wasn't really any looking back at or, or wondering what would have happened if I stayed. Cause again, that feeling was so strong of this is just what I have to do. And so it probably wasn't until I came back to the band that that was probably the first time I ever thought like, oh man, I wonder what it would have been like if I was just still here through all that time and, and hadn't been away from this. And, you know, I, I never had a feeling of, oh, I wish I had stayed or, you know, I, I should have or something. But that was the first time I even considered like what it would have been like if, if I had, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was at that Australian run mm-hmm. taking back Sunday show last month, Adam had said on stage that he w- wished he could have seen Australian run in real time, but for various reasons. And did you kind of follow what taking back Sunday were doing when you were out of the band at all, or did you just kind of put it out of your head? Um, for the first couple of years, I really actively avoided paying attention to the band and it was, it was pretty hard to totally ignore it because you know they were 
coming on the radio and their music videos were coming on TV and stuff. And so I would, I would have to be aware of it, but I really tried very hard to ignore it as much as I could. And, and I did, you know, as much as possible, I think. And it was just like too hard for me to, I couldn't actually like listen to what they were doing or think about it in a way that was like, I, I, it was too tied into the emotions of, of everything that happened with me leaving the band to, to really listen or, or take any of it in, in a meaningful kind of way. So I, yeah, so I just did my best to stay away from it. And I think that when they were doing uh, louder now, and that was coming out, I would, that some more time had passed. And so that, at that point I was starting to be able to listen to it a little more like a normal person might hear what they were doing. And I do remember when uh, Make Damn Sure came out and when that video came out, seeing that, and that was the first time kind of feeling like, like, oh, uh, damn, they, you know, like they, <laughs> they're onto something here. They like, you know, they're, that, that was my, my first feeling that I remembered after leaving the band of like, like shit there that that's i have to admit that's that's really good you know kind of <laughs> like and, uh, but even then i was still trying to avoid it but i was gradually coming around to yeah like i said to being able to to listen and and kind of take it for what it was without mm. the emotional stuff tied to it so you've now been in back in the band for over a decade um songs from louder now and where you want to be i mean you've played those songs for longer than Fred did yeah, um like weird yeah um like when you like have you, do you feel like you've I don't know added your own something to them or, or are they like almost like playing cover songs when you do those shows uh at the beginning the first the first year or two it definitely felt like playing more like playing cover songs but after all this time I do feel like I've made them my own in certain ways I don't think I've done anything <clears throat> super drastic to to them, but there are things that feel like my own in those songs now. Um, and I think also with just having played them for so long, there there is a level you get to where it just starts to feel a little more like your own, even if you're not doing that much different with it. You know, it. it I feel more attached to those songs at this point than, than I ever would have thought that I could, you know, cause it is, it is a long time of, of playing them and, and kind of living with them. You get, you get a different kind of attachment than, than you would just playing a cover song for a few times or even playing the same cover song for a year or two. It's, it's a very different thing now. Right. That makes sense. Um, so when you left the band, obviously you formed Twilight Run, it's you and Sean leave together and then your sister, Michelle and Will Noon. Um, and, um, so not only do you kind of distance yourself from taking back Sunday, but musically, of course, the record is such a departure from the kind of emo pop punk thing. Now I had read an interview years ago, so I, if I misquote, but, um, I remember you, you had done an interview in the tell your friends era. And I think the interviewer asked, like, who's a band you like that people wouldn't expect? And you said Radiohead and talked about, like, how they reinvent themselves and innovate on every record and how you hope to follow that kind of thing. And, like, when I listen to the first Twilight Run album, I'm like, the, the difference between Tell Your Friends and that record, like, you know, you 
could compare to like the Bent's OK computer or something like not, you know, like just like in the sort of we're going to reinvent ourselves over. Like, so how much how much of what you wrote for that record do you feel like you might have tried to write if you had stayed and taken back Sunday? Or do you think it was just like new band, new sound, like it would have been totally different? Well, some of the stuff that ended up being on the first Straylight record was I, was stuff that I had written while I was in Taking Back Sunday. And, um, you know, I think even like the, the opening part of existentialism I had made up on piano, I think while I was still in the band and um, I was starting to get more interested in, in playing the piano and there's even an old video of uh, Taking Back Sunday doing like an acoustic show. I say like acoustic. So I think Adam was injured. And so we all like tried to do a more low key show, but it basically was sounded the same as usual, just <laughs> like with uh, me playing piano and Adam playing acoustic guitar, I think. But I, you know, like I played piano through most of that set and I don't know, for whatever reason, I was getting really drawn to that even while Taking Back Sunday was going on. So a lot of the same stuff would have happened, I think with my writing, but because of the way Taking Back Sunday works, it it would have been put in to the mix with the influences of everybody else. And it would have come out as something pretty different you know um because it's it's a really collaborative process with with taking back sunday so you know you probably would have heard bits and pieces that sounded the same as what straylight run sounded like and uh you know some things that came out totally different but were based off of the same ideas you know Mm -hmm. that makes sense did you feel that when you wrote that first straylight record like did you kind of want to distance from like the warp tour type stuff or like like was that like conscious or was it just kind of like that's where the songwriting took you uh it was a little bit of both for sure and uh i think you know looking back on it it was a little bit it's a little bit of a bummer to me like that i was so conscious of of trying to distance myself from that whole scene that i think sometimes I should, you know, I should have let it be more just natural and, you know, not tried so hard, even with like us, with the bands we would tour with, uh, you know, we just made this conscious effort to avoid connections to, to that scene when we could have gotten, you know, these tours with bands in that world. And I think we could have been who we were and still existed in that scene more instead of pushing against it so hard, you know, in hindsight. But uh, at least with, with the first record, I think a lot of it was was pretty natural. But but yeah, like I said, it, it was a combination of, of natural and sort of uh, conscious. Mm-hmm. Well, at the same time, I feel like probably because of who you were and still being on Victory, it's like the emo scene did catch on and like existentialism becomes, it kind of like strikes a nerve the same way that Q Without the E had done. Um, mm-hmm. Did you, when you kind of saw that happen like oh like you know my new band song is sort of having this real moment among like these kids too like did you kind of react to that in real time or uh the the existentialism thing was really shocking to me because when 
we first recorded the song. I loved it. And, but I, you know, if you look at it on paper, you know, it's this like three, four time piano ballad with uh, just like, it's like a verse, a pre-chorus, a verse, and then an outro. It's not like a real traditional structure, but there was something that just, like you said, they did seem to strike a nerve. Like even when I played it for people, you know, I remember playing it for our booking agent at the time, like the demos that we had. And that was the one he was like, that, that's the song. And I was like, that really that one. And it kind of was like that for a while. Every time someone said that's the song, I was like really surprised. Um, but that was actually really that was really gratifying to me because even out of the t- the songs that Straylight Run had, that was kind of one of the further removed from from this, the Taking Back Sunday sound. We definitely had other ones that were closer. So you know that that felt really good to me that something that was so different could could catch on and you know we could do that and not only get away with it but have it you know be kind of a popular song. Totally. So I want to talk next about um, Prepare to Be Wrong, which is actually my favorite Charlotte Run record. Um, I feel like, again, to go back to the Radiohead thing, you had actually done, we did like a little thing on BV earlier or last year where we asked <clears throat> you about Charlotte Run influences and you mentioned Kid A, which of course you can hear on songs like Hands in the Sky. Um, and I feel like that record, though it's short, it's just like this really cool, like, it's so different from the first one. And then it also is so different from the next one. Um, and I just wondered like being this brief release, but such a specific distinct sound, did you ever feel like there was any unfinished business there? Like you could have made a full length in that style, had things gone a different direction or were you just sort of like, we said what we needed to say, our next record's different mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, I, that is a, like one of the regrets that I have looking back on Straylight run is that 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 we should have put out a full that should have been a full length album and we had the songs to to make it a full length at that point um you know at least three or four of the songs that ended up on needles of space were already written um at that point and could have been recorded and they might have been a little stylistically different but i think they could have fit fit in there and um we really ended up it i think one of the things that really that bums me out about it is it was more of an issue of like where we were with our record deal with victory we owed them an album and an ep and once that was done we could go look for other labels so it just felt like okay well now it's the time to put out an ep because that's what our our deal is and then we'll do a full length after that but but yeah man it really you know it's already i think like a half an hour long too Mm -hmm. which is probably about as long as tell all your friends is it's just like six songs instead of ten right you know we were like we were two two or three songs away from a a complete full length and i do wish i wish one we had made it a full length and and then also given it the proper kind of touring that you would on a full length because that Mm -hmm. was also another thing is we probably only toured you know did like three tours around that 
EP, you know, like, like one or two US tours and maybe went to the UK for a week or something. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you know, it, it's a bummer. I think it could have been given a lot more attention really by us. And uh, yeah, I wish, I wish we had. Now I might be projecting a little bit here, but I feel like your last solar record, uh, Abendigo, um, I feel like you almost picked up where that EP left off a bit. I feel like there's some of that moodier, like electronic-y art rock stuff. Like, is that in my head or were you like in a similar headspace while writing that one? No, that's, that's definitely true. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't consciously happening. It was one of those things where um, after the songs were written, I, I was, I was kind of seeing that and um but now, now that I've been doing this for so long, I have noticed there are these kind of cycles that'll happen where I'll get back into writing a certain type of song. You know, like I think that like the first song um, off my last solo, um, uh, Do You Remember? For some reason, that was the first time I had sat down and made an electronic drum beat and like an added electronic bass and kind of built a song like that. I probably hadn't done that in like seven years or something. And I don't really know why it was just sort of like, Oh, I want to do that. I haven't done that in a long time. And, mm-hmm. and that was kind of how I was doing a lot of the stuff um, with prepare to be wrong was, was starting out with these, you know, weird electronic drum sounds and building songs from there. That makes sense. So uh, the next record, the needles of space, it's the only Charlotte run album on a major label. Um, and again, it's a way different sound. I feel like at that point you were maybe moving into like almost like Decemberist arcade fire kind of territory, like felt fully away from like the sort of emo world. Um, but then it, I guess you sort of the deal with the major label was short lived. Michelle left soon after. Um, and when I, at the reunion shows, you didn't touch on that album. So I was wondering like, are you soured on that experience at all? Or like, um, do you just feel like maybe, like, I think it's a great record, um, but I also understand how maybe it was hard to find a place for it to fit in. So mm-hmm. like, how do you kind of look back on that one now? Well, we ended up playing the song, uh, The Miracle That Never Came. I think we did it at two of the shows um, out of the four when we got back together, that was, that was the only one we did. I think probably the first, you were there the first night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was trying to keep up on setlist FM, but maybe I, maybe someone was wrong or I missed it, but. Like I said, I think it was, it was two shows out of the four that we played. We played that one. Um, But yeah, the, the needles of space is it's that one. It is tough because the, the major label experience was kind of, kind of the, the typical major label story where, you know, the, the band signs and uh, it all just falls apart very quickly. Um, I remember, you know, like it didn't take off the way the label wanted to. And it really felt like within about two or three months of the album coming out, it was just like, they were, they were done. You know, there was, there was no, sense of like okay you know the, the first single didn't really take off and let's see you know what we can do to kind of keep things going or maybe like you know get some momentum here it was just sort of like this didn't hit the way we wanted to we're done and you know I don't remember how long it took before we were dropped but it was less than a year after the album came out so I think you know it's a pretty standard experience 
with a lot of bands that come from an indie label and go to the majors it's you know it happens a lot so mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't it wasn't that surprising in a certain way but it was very disappointing and um you know with the record i i feel like uh even now when i think about it i think there's a lot of really good songs on it but it feels like it was not quite finished like i feel like we we did it all without a producer we had really like wanted to to take control of it but i think we needed the right person with an outside perspective to kind of actually step in and, and maybe produce it a bit more and make some you know some changes and push us a little further to, to you know to get those songs to another point so like i i'm really proud of the record and, and really love it but yeah it 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 feels like it it could have and and should have been better and like also in a certain way feels like it was you know like this close to being something um much better than it ended up being and we didn't quite get there Mm -hmm. well before when we were sort of talking about like you had kind of said um that you almost wish you didn't push back so hard on like the emo scene type thing at this point um did you almost did you feel like i you know i wish trailer run were reaching that sort of maybe like again, I was saying like bands like Arcade Fire, Decemberist, that kind of like pitchforky world, like were you sort of like, man, if only we could somehow get noticed by them, maybe this record would have been like a bigger deal to people. Well, yeah. And I think there was a little bit of a, too much of a conscious effort again to like move out of the the world of the, the emo world and, and to try to get more into the indie rock world or you know like yeah to get in that scene and and i think in retrospect it also affected the arrangement and approach to the songs maybe in a way that it shouldn't have because it's like i don't think it was bad to to go in that direction but i think there was too much of a conscious effort to be like no like the to push back against that whole other scene and move towards this other one and sometimes it wasn't necessarily natural and you know so that that, i think that's yeah that's what we wanted was was to move into that world and uh but really that was part of the problem too is there was no interest in you know like people who listened to the bands you're talking about like arcade fire or something you know like they they didn't give a shit about stray light run they weren't gonna pick up the new Australia run album and be like, Oh, this is interesting. It, you know, that it, it was not part of that, that world. And, and I think like it was never going to be really. And so, so I think we would have been better off just being who we were and letting it go wherever it went more naturally. You know, I feel like arcade fire fans would have liked it if they heard it. Possibly. I don't know. I say <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> you know, it's, I, yeah, I just think we shouldn't have tried so hard to uh, to win those people over, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it was a tough time. Like, so a few episodes ago, I had Kevin Devine on this show and we were kind of talking about the similar thing because, you know, he kind of went through a similar thing where like he sort of came from Mimo and made these folk rock records and then only emo people listened. Um, <laughs> and um, like, I, I think, you know, it was just like this, it, at that point in history, I feel like, the scenes were so tribal 
like it was like and now i feel like that's maybe lightened up a bit um yeah and i had actually wondered and i don't know if this played into it at all for you but like with straylight run kind of coming back now i'm like it feels like the right time it's like it feel now you see like those sort of indie and emo worlds have like crossed into each other and like when i was listening back to that first straylight run record to kind of like you know gear up for the show i was like you know this sounds like really current and i felt that live too like it's uh like you know i don't want like almost like ahead of its time or wrong time mm. wrong place kind of thing but um yeah i i definitely see can see that yeah you know it does seem like the lines are not as strong now you know the lines between the genres are a little more blurred and um yeah you're definitely right it, things have to have changed and and i think in a certain way we were maybe ahead of our time in that sense of uh not that the music was so ahead of its time, but as far as like moving in one scene to another or kind of blurring the lines, it was, it was ahead of its time maybe. But um, it's funny. It just made me think of like talking about Kevin Devine is like, we did a tour. It was in 2008, I think maybe, or 2007 after the needles of space came out, we toured with Kevin Devine and a band called Matt Pond PA. And it sort of felt like the three of us were all sort of like these like bands without a home or like without a genre or, or something. And like, and even the tour itself didn't do that well, you know, like it, it was fine, but, but, you know, we weren't like selling anything out. We were all kind of like getting by and maybe hoping that it, the tour was going to be bigger than it was. But I do remember that feeling of like, you know, none of us, it seemed like none of these bands, exactly belonged um in the genres that they had been put in you know yeah yeah i mean i feel like that was its own almost little scene like again when i was talking to kevin like he also mentioned like manchester orchestra around that time and like me without you mm -hmm. um also just as like those same sort of like where do we fit kind of bands and yeah um i also think uh and i speaking uh, definitely from my own experience a bit here you know, I think when artists like yourself and Kevin and Me Without You and made records like that, like, I think, you know, you also help bridge that gap for fans, too. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like, I was like 11 when Tell All Your Friends came out, and it was like a very big deal to me. And that was the scene I was in. And when I was 18, yeah. I was listening to like Bon Iver and Fleet Foxes. And I felt like records like The Needles of Space and what Kevin was putting out were like a very natural kind of like. It, yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I can. That that does make sense. I've never really thought about it that way of sort of like um, guiding or like helping people along from like one genre to another. Yeah. It kind of like, you know, showed off like other, you know, just styles of music. And yeah, I always love when that kind of thing happens when you're like you kind of bring like, again, even you talking about Radiohead in, like, 2002 in, like, the Warp Tour world, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure some kid is reading that and, like, goes home and buys Kid A or something. Yeah, it's it's possible. I never knew, like, what would happen with that. I, I think I was, like, always really vocal about it, even in the Taking Back Sunday time, because mm -hmm. really, like, I, I wasn't, was at that point already, wasn't listening to anything that sounded like Taking Back Sunday, and I, I probably was a little 
too into letting people know that, but, <laughs> but I also did want to kind of like say like, Hey, there's this whole other world of, of amazing music out here that doesn't sound anything like this. And, uh, you know, maybe check it out. Totally. And I feel like, I don't know, outgrowing your emo phase is like a thing people feel they yeah, need to do. That yeah. is very, very true. And, and we've even seen it, you know, I think with the so-called like emo revival, mm-hmm. I think that was a lot of people who outgrew their emo phase and then like realized however many years later, like, oh, wait, oh, this is actually good. I like this still. Like, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's okay to like this. I don't have to be embarrassed anymore. And I think I had to do that um, even myself, but, you know, even as somebody who was uh, a big part of making music in that genre. I think that's another thing that's been changing. It's like, yeah, like when I, you know, was growing up, I mean, being embarrassed about liking something was a major part of listening to music. Like, you know, like it was, and I feel like that's been dying a bit. Like I look at like kids who are maybe 10 years younger than me and they don't seem to have it. Like I go on like Twitter Mm -hmm. and like, you don't see people like making fun of people for listening to like (laughs) Imagine Dragons when they were a kid or something the way, like, I don't know, when I was in middle school, like I would have been murdered for still liking, you know, a certain band at a certain age, you know? Yeah. um, Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know if it goes on in, in a different way now or we don't see it as much because we're not teenagers or something but it right. does seem like it's not as big of a deal as as it was uh, back in the day i think so um now speaking of sort of introducing different genres to different people so another recent thing you did is fucking whatever with anthony green and adam and this is like psychedelic beach boys animal collective like way out there kind of stuff like what um what was sort of made you guys come up with that project? Well, we had done a tour. Uh, Taking Back Sunday was on a tour with Dashboard Confessional and um, Seosin in, uh, must have been 2016. I don't know. And, uh, and uh, Ben, who now is in group love, uh, was playing with Dashboard at that time, playing drums. And uh, Anthony obviously was singing for Seosin. And somehow along the way, we got into this thing where after hours, we would kind of do these jam sessions with whoever was around. Um, it always like the the basis, like the three, I think like me and, uh, and Anthony and Ben were, I think pretty much at all of them. But um, they, they were kind of in these like bigger, venues where there would be like a thing where there's like a locker room in a, you know, like a a small indoor arena or something that they maybe use for sports. A lot of the backstages were in these like locker rooms and you didn't get kicked out immediately after the show was over, like what happens in a lot of other places. And so we had these times just kind of hang around and uh, yeah, just would do this weird hippie jam session where Ben would kind of make rhythms on whatever was around with whatever he could. And uh, whoever's there would do sort of a chanting thing. We would sort of just kind of improvise and ooh and ah and a chanting thing. And usually Anthony would then improvise like a lyric and vocal on top of it. And it just became a thing we did. And we would joke on the tour that we should make it an actual band. Um, And 
so one one day we were talking about it and and then we were like well if, what if, if we did it what would we call it and and then ben was like well man we could just we could call it like fucking whatever man you know like and then we're like well what if we just call actually called it fucking whatever so that was like 2016 and the idea was always kind of there but it just never materialized and during the pandemic Anthony got in touch with me because I had a bunch of recordings on my phone of those jam sessions. And he was like, what if we like released some of those and just like gave the money to charity or something. So I started going through them and, and sent some of those to him. And we started thinking about releasing those. And then at a certain point we were like, well, what if we actually like tried to record a song like that right now and do something new? Um, and that was pretty much the start of it. And it was kind of crazy because I just took the, the, the kind of template of what we did back then. And I just recorded a bunch of ooze and like layered a bunch of things, like just vo vocal things and looped them and sent it to Ben. And he just did a bunch of stuff playing on whatever he had in his house and added that to the loop and then sent it to Anthony. Anthony made vocals over it. And then we felt like we needed... Uh, something more and and we talked about bringing adam into it and the second adam added something to it it just like took it to another level and it went from being a thing of like what if we just tried to make a song to this to something it just didn't stop for the next like two months basically we just kept doing songs like that and uh you know eventually we got the ep could fucking whatever ever play a show or is it like way too studio oriented well, we, we really want to, and we've talked about how we could do it and it would definitely take some kind of innovative, interesting approach because, you know, we, we really did stick to never using traditional instruments in anything. So it, it would have to be done with either like looping stuff live with vocals and, and percussion or getting like a big group of people involved to like sing like a choir or something but you know we definitely want to do something at some point um and and it would be i think more of like we've always talked about it kind of being more like an like an art installation or something more than mm -hmm. a traditional concert so you know hopefully it'll happen it it's kind of a bummer because like when none of us were doing very much during the pandemic obviously or like you know we're still in the pandemic, but <laughs> when yeah. we were all stuck at home and trying to, and not trying to continue living our lives during the pandemic. Um, and now that we're all doing stuff again, it's, it's been much harder to, to get other things going with the project, but we really want to record more songs and we really want to play live at some point. And it's just kind of a matter of getting the time to figure it out and do it. Totally. Um, now to sort of backtrack for a second. Um, so when we were before talking a little bit about your solo record and you were talking about um, like writing, do you remember um, when you write now for yourself, like how do you differentiate between like what you're writing for yourself versus a song you might bring in Taking Back Sunday? Like, did you ever think like, oh, like, I mean, what if Taking Back Sunday did do you remember? Um, or were mm -hmm. you just like, no, it's gotta be for me. It would never fit or like. Well, I, I'm, I try to always be writing as much as possible and I don't really differentiate 
with what would you know be for which project and really it's come down to what whatever is happening at the moment and what songs i have you know whether it ends up going to taking back sunday or to to myself and you know like with do you remember i think that could have definitely been a taking back sunday song and um you know the the band you know most likely could have done something really interesting and and maybe even better with it you know and uh i i'd even sent it around i think at one point before i had knew i was going to write a solo album but then we were on tour for tidal wave and then we started touring for the 20th anniversary of the band and i had all these songs and that was kind of what it was with with the, that solo album i had a lot of songs that were felt ready to go and like that i was really excited about and i think any of them could have made their way into what taking back sunday did on the next record but i knew taking back sunday wasn't going to be in the studio again for a while and uh so i just wanted to to get them out right then and so yeah so that's always a big a big part of it it's just yeah, whatever happens to be working on and what I'm working on at the time. And, you know, a lot of times too, when Taking Back Sunday's working on an album, the songs or ideas that I have will sometimes end up then like, instead of going out there as a song, will kind of get used for parts or something. You know, there might be this little musical idea I had for a song and I just take it and use it in a Taking Back Sunday song or like one line or one melody. So then a lot of those songs that I have that might've been solo album songs just end up being something I couldn't use for myself because I too much has been taken out of it and mm -hmm. used with the uh, Taking Back Sunday song. And so that happens too, where, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily like the songs I have always get used um, as what they are. And a lot of times too, I make up songs like acoustic and then, once they go through taking back Sunday's process, they don't sound anything like what I originally came up with. It, it becomes this whole nother thing, which is always cool. Mm -hmm. How does taking back Sunday's current songwriting process compare to what you were doing at the tell your friends era? Um, in a certain way, there's the exact type of thing that we did during tell your friends still happens, which I think is everybody brings their own stuff and their own approaches and their own musical ideas and um and the way it combines with each other makes it into something totally different than it would be otherwise you know um and like i was saying with the tell your friends with kind of the different influences there's always a push and pull between the different people in the band and their different you know musical influences and what they like and that makes something totally different um you know come together uh, but then it, it's different in the sense that it, it's a lot more thoughtful now things go through a lot more um revisions you know like when we were writing tell all your friends it was sort of like if we could get a song written then it was done. You know, it was just sort of like we got, we got to the end of the song, we made mm. up all the parts, the song's done. And now like when a song gets done, it's kind of like we sit, sit down and listen to it and kind of think like, okay, well, how could we make this better? And it usually goes through 
more of a process before people hear the end result. Uh, is Taking Back Sunday writing now? When do you expect to do new music again? We are writing. We've done a, a bunch of sessions, you know, over the past six months or, or more. And um, we have we have a lot of demos right now. And it's kind of like the, you know, the beginnings of something that's going to be an album. And we're going to get together and do more writing. And, uh, I, you know, we, I really hope we have a finished record from that soon. But, I, you know, we're also kind of, I think, trying to write and and not um not rush the process or i think we're trying to strike a balance between getting an album done as soon as possible but not not rushing it uh you know for the sake of just getting an album done and out there quickly you know mm -hmm. i don't know how much you can say at this point but um where are you kind of heading like stylistically like i know on tidal wave like especially the title track you had that real like classic punk kind of like heartland rock type thing which was new for mm -hmm. band like where what's sort of been going on now um it's a little bit hard to say because uh we kind of have a, I, I, a few different types of songs i feel like right now like that are kind of it all sounds like taking back sunday but there's there's definitely a, a few different things going on. And um, I think one of the things we're looking at right now is how is this all going to fit together and sound like a record and not just a collection of a bunch of different types of songs. So, so I think it's very hard to say right now. And, and even with what Tidal Wave ended up sounding like when we were in the demo stages of it, you know, the sound that it ended up having it wasn't necessarily there at the, in the demo stages. And that kind of was something that developed as the songs got worked on more. And then even in the, the way they were arranged and produced in the final um, recording. So I think we're going to have that again, where we probably won't know what the sound is until we're like actually down to recording the record. That makes sense. Do you have plans this year to kind of celebrate the 20th anniversary of Tell Your Friends, like a tour or anything? I don't think so. Not not touring wise. Uh, you know, we're definitely going to do some things to celebrate it. But um, I think with uh, doing the 20 year anniversary tour that we did in 2019 and with like our focus on writing a new record, you know, the 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 main focus is, is on that is getting a new record and then touring based off of that rather than uh, the celebrating tell your friends anniversary. Makes sense. Um, any other upcoming stuff that you're working on that you'd want to shout out? Um, you know, I no, really that's, you know, what we were just talking about is the big thing. And uh, mm -hmm. you know, we will, we will be touring, in the near future and you know there's plans for that but nothing that can be announced yet so you know everything that that we're doing is you know we've got stuff in the works but nothing that we can really fully announce yet mm. awesome well i think that's about everything i got uh so thank you so much for coming on the show well thank you for having me yeah totally um all right i think that's it all right awesome 
Hey, thanks again to John. Thanks so much for listening. Go check out that list of emo albums from 2002 on Brooklyn Vegan. Catch Taking Back Sunday on tour. And subscribe to the Brooklyn Vegan Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned for our next episode.